amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. And it hits me. Mrs. Gowa, my crazy English teacher from last year, is the only person that made me think of hope. Students will rise to the level of expectations in your Molina. What do you need, Mr. Escalante? Gunners. That's all we need is Gunners. You are the heroes. You are heroes every day. Hello and welcome to Teacher Talk. I'm Matt Snyder. And I'm uh, Rachel Banda. And this is our first ever episode. So I thought that we might start off by introducing ourselves. As I said before, my name is Matt Snyder. Um, I hold a BA in mathematics, a uh, Master of Science in teaching for childhood education, and a Certificate of Advanced Study for College Teaching. Currently, I work as a math teacher, and I also, on the side, uh, have started being an adjunct professor for St. Lawrence University, teaching math methods. Hello, yes. Um, welcome to our first episode, and I'd like to just talk a little bit about myself. Uh, as I've said, I'm Rachel Bender. I uh, currently hold a BA uh, from SUNY Potsdam in theater and theater education. I originally went on to go uh, do a New York State uh Masters in um, childhood education. So, and I'm also additionally certified as a special education uh, teacher. I'm currently working as a uh, special education itinerant teacher, working with children uh, birth through the age two, um, working with special needs children. And um, not only do I uh, do that, but I also um, hold theater workshops, and I'm very interested in uh, theater. Studying theater and and the positive effects it can have on our students, particularly those with uh, special education so, uh, backgrounds. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, very interested to uh, get responses back from our first show. Um, I'm eager to discuss and explore topics with Matt and the reason uh, why I wanted to do the podcast with with you Matt is because I I really think that we have something to offer Um, I'm hoping you know especially in terms of strategies advice and just basically uh, bring it to the table uh, when it comes to uh, education right now Um, and particularly in New York State um, as as you know where we're going uh, there's a lot going on here whilst we're all in, in uh, quarantine so um yeah i think um i think this is going to be great um our first episode is going to be discussing um the fixed mindset uh which i'm sure <laughs> many educators know a lot about is is that not correct matt <laughs> yeah i would i would say that's the case um there is one thing i would like to add um, just cool. in the interest of uh, full disclosure, uh, Rachel and I have both attended SUNY Potsdam for our master's degree at the same time, and and so uh, we've been talking about uh, education-related uh, topics ever since then. Mm-hmm. And so, just so the listeners are aware, uh, there is that connection there. Um, I'm also very interested in hearing what 
the listeners want to talk about, and I'm very willing to uh, have those conversations that they feel that would help most benefit them in their classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the schedule today, um, I'm thinking that we're going to start off by defining what growth mindset is and comparing that to the fixed mindset. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the research behind the growth mindset, fixed mindset, look at a couple of case studies, um, and we're going to end with a very powerful um, sound clip from a TED Talk that Carol Dweck um, gave on the power of yet, and it is just a, a phenomenal show we have for you today, I, I feel like. I have a positive feeling about it too, Matt. It's, it's going to be great. Very interesting. Yeah. So with that out of the way, why don't we talk about what a growth mindset is? So to my mind, what a growth mindset is, is it's the idea that no matter where you're at, you can always get better. Whether yeah. Whether you're just starting out and you have no idea what's going on, you know, everybody begins someplace. And yeah. so you're not going to start at the the top of the of the heap. But also, if you're at the top of the heap, you best be innovating if you want to stay there. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not a, a, a once you learn something, you've got it forever and that's all you need. Um, no. That that's kind of like a fixed mindset uh, where you think that your intelligence is fixed. If you're a math person, you're a math person. If you're not, God help you. Um, (laughs) And I'm sure you experienced that a lot as a math teacher, uh, (laughs) where there's this belief. um, I certainly have when I, when I've been teaching uh, comical math where it's new. Um, so there's this freeze up, uh, when I was teaching sixth grade math, uh, there was this, we, uh, you know, it's just the, it's the basics and it's the simple stuff, but because of the way that those mathematic formulas were presented, people froze up and said, I, I can't do this. And, you know, they took one look at it and, you know, I'm not a math person is typically what, what, you know, what said, I've never been good math. I'm not, I'm not a math person. And they've in their mind, they've got that fixed mindset that they can't, um, they're not going to do any better than that. And you see a student physically shutting down, you know, you can see it in their face. They're getting a little more frustrated. Um, you know, they're staring at the work and, and, you know, you can you can see it. So it's seeing that fixed mindset in action um, as an educator that I think is very interesting. Um, you know, it, it's there. It definitely exists. Um, and I'm glad that we're discussing it. Um, would you mind if uh, I took you back to uh, our math methods course with Dr. Abramovich for, for a second? Sure, why not? So I remember, because we were in that class together, and yes. <laughs> I remember that you were struggling a little bit with it. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yes, that's correct. And, and, and this, this was our graduate level math class, uh, topics in mathematics at SUNY Potsdam um, as part of our MST in childhood education, which was our teacher preparation course. Right. And, you know, I didn't at that time know anything about growth mindset. It really was just mm-hmm. barely starting to get out there. Um, right. And... Would you would you say that I was kind of approaching it with you with these growth mindset principles? 
Yeah, and I would. I, well, yeah, I have um, a learning disorder in mathematics. Um, so I, I feel that I have to work extra hard to get those concepts. Um, order of operations do not come easily to me. So uh, I struggle and I do, <laughs> I do myself get very frustrated uh, when it comes to uh, showing your workings out. You know, how did you get the answer? You know, write everything out. That, that, that part, that aspect of mathematics does actually uh, frustrate me um, just because as a student learning mathematics, um, yes. I, I do have that. <laughs> I did have that fixed mindset. Um, but you came along and you taught me that it's okay and to, to slow things down and do it in um, baby steps. So take the math and, and break it down so it doesn't seem so intimidating. Um, and that's something that I do with my students when I'm teaching them mathematics, um, particularly with those special education students, but also, you know, with the general ed students as well, um, to teach them that, you know, it, it's, there is, you know, that they can um, put in the effort and, and eventually, you know, lead to a path of mastery. It's not impossible. You will never, you know, there isn't a limitation. This isn't it. You're not just going to stop at this level and never get any better at math. Um, you know, it, it can be done. It can, you can, you can, um, you know, gain those mathematical skills, but it does take a lot of practice, a lot of patience, and I I definitely put in a lot of hours of work, you know, with a, a private, you know, with a tutor, with you, with everybody, um, and it's it's learning to sort of go out the comfort zone as well and ask for that help. I mean, how many of our students are comfortable to ask for the help, particularly in front of their peers? They don't they don't want to be you know be seen as weak and not being able to grasp the concepts right and that's really where a lot of the growth mindset research is is taking place they're they're wanting to create an atmosphere where making a mistake is not only the norm but it's expected that everybody in that room at one point or another will have an error in thinking and and what i find really cool about it is it it removes the onus from the teacher and places it back on the student so mm -hmm. that they're responsible for their learning and they're responsible for their understanding and the teacher is there to help them realize that everybody makes mistakes everybody is capable of learning um and on that point would you f say that you went from a more fixed mindset where you found math extremely difficult and you were probably at about your peak to yeah. Oh, I can, I can, I can actually learn this stuff well enough to <laughs> yes. teach it to somebody else. You know. Yeah, no, I definitely did. Yeah, I went from uh, knowing that I had a learning disorder um, and knowing that uh, initially, I, you know, I felt like I just couldn't do algebra. Algebra was my demon. I just, I just couldn't grasp it um and i was afraid of it too because it just like seemed like every principle every formula every concept i just i just wasn't grasping it um and i did uh i just had to step away from it and and then come back uh, so you know stepping away taking a quick mental break for me was the best thing i could do as a mathematics student um <laughs> to uh, uh, go back and, and go back with a more positive growth mindset um, attitude. And to you that... Know, once, once I started to see that I was doing it, when you were saying, look, you're doing it, you're actually capable of this, I, it was a shock to myself. 
It was like, oh my gosh, here I am at the graduate level doing mathematics. Um, and I never, I never thought that would ever happen. Mathematics really handed me in, in at the secondary education level. Um, I was always put in the lowest class, um, and I and I needed more help, but wasn't given additional help. You know, I was put in the class with the kids that had the the poor grades. So those were the ones that were behaving the most at the time. So there was a lot of behavioral things going on in that class, and it just wasn't a very good learning environment. So I think at the time that. That didn't help ultimately when it came to my own uh, growth mindset. I developed a fixed mindset. Like, I'm stuck here. I'm never going to get any better. You know, I, I deliberately, in a way, avoided uh, careers at the time uh, that required any sort of mathematics because I just didn't think I could be good at math. But I was a 4 0 student in every other aspect. Um, and, and that was incredibly frustrating to be good at everything else and to be a 4-0 but not get that math, you know, not understand it. And it was only at the college level did I go and get tested. Someone said, you might have dyscalculia. Um, so when I looked, I did actually have a, a learning disorder in it. And you'd think that might put me off, but it, it didn't. I, I decided that I needed to face my fears and face my face those mathematical challenges that I had and get over that hurdle so I could be a teacher. And it was more about my desire to be a teacher and I've always wanted to be a teacher. I've been very passionate about teaching others and I thought because I've had those difficulties in mathematics, I can perhaps be uh, of use, of value to students that are really, really, really struggling. Um, and and uh, it's been very rewarding for me to see students that, you know, have been grappling with the uh, common core and, and you know, once they do get something, that aha moment is that is to me is the transformation from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset. They've suddenly gone from I can't get this, I'm not going to get this, this is all I'm ever going to learn. To oh my god, I understood this, I know what this is, and I can move forward. And it's the moving forward part and seeing the student moving forward that I find very rewarding about education. Well, and I would also say that the common core which you brought up a couple of different times is mm -hmm. actually the better curriculum but our teachers are not trained for it they're not trained mathematicians they don't understand why we want to have as many visual representations why we want to have so many uh ways of attacking the problem and mm -hmm. you know i'm just going to stick with the visual um uh, for right now because uh according to the research math Mathematics is processed in three areas of your brain, two of mm -hmm. which are visual pathways. Mm -hmm. um, and what what we do is we restrict students too early on the methods of solving a problem from we want okay, so we start off great in the formative years and they're working on, you know, with all kinds of manipulatives and they they tend to get it very easily, very quickly. You know, makes sense. We're doing a great mm -hmm. job. But then we want to move too quickly away to a symbolic representation, and the development just isn't there for that. They, mm -hmm. the, and, and it's not how we naturally process mathematics in our brains. Um, you know, there was a recent study put out. I think it was Joe Bowler. It was either Joe Bowler or she 
um, referenced the study, and they actually found that it is absolutely essential to let students count on their fingers for as long as they need to, because if we uh -huh. re if we restrict that, mm -hmm. then we're, we're forcing them to go into a symbolic representation too soon that their, their brains have not yet developed the neural connections to be able yeah. to understand numbers as this abstract concept. So mm -hmm. it, it's just absolutely essential that we had some yeah. kind of transformation in our curric in our mathematics curriculum to, to mm -hmm. make it more visual. Yeah. When I was teaching Common Core at the first grade uh, level, um, it was uh, it was very interesting because it was right when Common Core rolled out. It was the first rollout. You know, it was uh, so new. Nobody knew, <laughs> nobody had any time. You know, no no teacher training, no nothing. It was like here it is, implement it. Um, and it, I think that was tough both for the educators and the students. You know, they, they had to adapt, which they do, which is great. Um, we so know teachers can adapt the these days, huh? Adapt. They do. <laughs> and look how they're adapting right now, you know, to this uh, online learning. You know, they adapt. Um, and, they, and they did. But, uh, you know, yes. Um, what I found with the students was that um, for them, uh, they were... It, seemed to me those particular students in that particular class it was developmentally um inappropriate for them because it seemed like it was a, you know very much above where they were at um and they did have some difficulty grasping the cost concepts at first um but again it was so new it was so new to everybody and um you know we if i could speak to that point real quick Sure. I, I think the Common Core is set up in such a way that stu all every student, no matter whether they're an A student, a B student, or a typical F student, they are going to struggle in the beginning of the the units. Yeah. And, and it's and it's built in. And if the growth mindset research has taught us anything, it's that that struggle is actually very productive. It, yes, and, and it we, is. And, and especially elementary teachers, they don't like to see yes. their students struggle. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, having taught in a first grade classroom for my student teaching, I totally right. get it. It is yeah. almost heartbreaking to, mm -hmm. to see these kids struggling. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side of that, when you get towards the, the end, you know, you, you, you see... These kids yes. that were struggling very, you know, to a high degree, and all of a sudden they're the ones giving you the explanation almost word for word from the yes. textbook without ever having read it. And what I've also noticed as well is uh, they get more confident in that, more actively participating. So the hand raising is going on. You know, the, the calling out of answers, the excitement is there. Once they understand the concepts, at the beginning of the module, I often find that they're, you know, like I said, it's like kind of the sullen silences. It's the, but you're, you're doing a lot of the explaining, the, the, show, the problem solving and showing them how to do that, you know, to to do it at the beginning of the module but towards the end of the module you know that they're, 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 they're on it you know um we did uh, i think we did measuring 
um, you know, and uh, by the end of the module, they were measuring the classroom, you know, with a tape measure, and they were so involved. So it's like once they grasp it, once they get over that uh, fixed mindset of not being able to do it or, oh, I don't know enough about this, so I'm not going to be good at it. Um, it's great to see how far those students can travel and go like with, the, with their minds and, and how excited they are for the, the, the content. Absolutely. <clears throat> and there are just certain things that are also placed in there that they're mm-hmm. not intended to get that year. Mm-hmm. It's in the curriculum but they're not actually intended to master it that year. And I think that's a message that hasn't been communicated. Um, Mm -hmm. What's jumping into my mind right now is the area models for um, multiplication. And the reason that they include that is actually to teach a high school concept. But we're trying to introduce it several times, and it's that spiraling that we all talk about but the the common core is so um, subtle about it, and that's kind of one mm-hmm. of the things I like about it. But it's unfortunately one of the things that can cause some trouble when you're looking mm-hmm. at it because most elementary teachers do not have the uh, mathematics background that I do, right? Um, and so right. they don't they don't see the purpose for it in their curriculum because quite frankly it doesn't have a purpose in their curriculum but it has Mm -hmm. a purpose in the curriculum overall and i i think and later down the road right and i i think that's something that i don't even know if it'd be effective if it was communicated now because there's been so much stress about it um i i i really I, I have taught in an elementary class math classroom before, um, and just to hear the conversations, I think teachers oftentimes are guilty of making things worse than they really are because they care so much. Yeah. You know, it's it's not that they're... Right, and we all do it for the students. <laughs> right. <laughs> that That's how we feel, you know, do it for the students, and, and we've... You know, that's that's why we got into education in the first place is because we care about children. Um, and, and sometimes we just need to take a step back and and we need to communicate with our, our teachers, you know, pre-K through 12 in, in this case, yeah. you know, and, and ma- maybe see where things are going and maybe have that teacher explain why they want that covered when they do. Um, and maybe have the uh, grade going up and saying, well, I really need to hit this even harder than I hit that because I it's, it's for my end-of-the-year exam or it's a key skill that they're supposed to be working on this year, whereas that's kind of tangential and, and, and a would-be-nice kind of thing. Um, I'm a little ashamed to say I don't know the English curriculum as well, but I would assume that it's kind of the same general philosophy went into uh, the designing of the English curriculum where we may be asking them to do skills that are beyond the grade level they're at, mm-hmm. but it's because they won't get it the first time they go through or even the second time they go through. It, it's we're, we're starting on the first step, and we're going to talk about this in the next episode uh, with the learning pit. 
where you're starting at the bottom and you've got a thousand steps to go before you've mastered it, but you've got right. to take that first step. And right. And and we've got to understand that frustration isn't the the worst thing in the world. Right, and that's something that's important to to have. I think is that learning frustration. It's all part of the process of learning. You know, the students uh, have to get through that. It's it's part of it. Uh, no one likes to see it. Um, and, and you can tell, I think, the students that are frustrated but perfectly capable of learning the content from a student that is sincerely struggling that may have additional uh, learning disorders or, or additional needs um, that need to be met, um, in, in my opinion. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, um, teaching first grade, um, you know, it, it was very blatant to see that there was a student that was particularly struggling. Um, she, you know, she struggled to write her name um, and she had some fine and, and gross motor skill difficulties as well. And there was, there was a lot going on there. Um, and, you know, it, it was kind of blatant that she just at that time needed the additional help, um, which we got. So, and so, you know, I think, you know, as teachers, we can't think, that this student, you know, other students, and particularly special needs students, that they can't get it, they'll never get it. You know, um, again, you know, it, oh, they're never going to be able to learn this. They just, they're not going to, because it, it, they can and they will. It's about us having a positive uh, growth mindset too. Oh, absolutely. I think. <laughs> We're talking about the students <laughs> having it, but I think educators need to, um, you know, and it, it's, it's, I think it's important that educators have a growth mindset and, and not only believe in our own growth as educators. So, you know, we do get that professional development. Um, and I think we should be taking some of that a little more seriously. <laughs> I've been to professional Oh, come on. You've never sat through a professional development work playing on your phone? I, I, I'm feeling the glass from the other teachers from here, man. <laughs> but um, I, I think some of that also stems from we need quality professional development that's true we do don't and come no at me with the same likes... information i've had exactly. a thousand times right and no teacher likes being told you know like likes their time being wasted it's got to be um i think supplemental uh, you know professional development add to what we already know allow us to grow as educators you know let's not, let's not you know sit. like play the teacher talk podcast for the entire yeah. staff while they're working in their rooms you know <laughs> <laughs> there you go see A shameless That's... plug <laughs> <laughs> That's true <laughs> um if we can for a minute I'd kind of like to talk about the some of the research that's been going on because there's some really interesting case studies. Um, I'm actually going to start at the bottom of my list and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the neuroscience. And already I can hear the educators kind of cringe and, <laughs> oh man, we've just gotten in really deep into the science. It's actually not that complicated of a yeah. science. Um, no. we're, we're talking about how the brain grows. And one of the most effective things you can do is describe it just how it happens. It grows like a muscle. Mm -hmm. You've got these neurons that are sending signals to other neurons that are sending signals to other body parts mm -hmm. that are learning things. So there's so the more a pathway is used, 
the larger the pathway gets and the easier it is for that signal to go through. It's an actual electric signal that goes through all of these little pathways in your brain and Isn't out that through amazing? your body. It's just, it's just amazing how the human body works. It's, it, it's so awesome. Oh, it, it absolutely is. Um, and the so the more you use these pathways, the longer you're going to remember because the the longer it takes for the pathway to dissolve when it's not used, mm-hmm. and the easier it is to recall that information. You know, something like putting on a shirt is yep. going to be remembered for far longer than how to do a differential equation. Mm-hmm. Because you don't spend as much time doing a differential equation over your lifetime as you do, as you do putting on a shirt. Putting on a shirt. So these base skills are going to be far easier. Um, and we can talk about compaction and, and how um, we we how mathematics develops and how even English develops when when you're talking about writing a sentence versus writing a paragraph versus writing a paper versus writing a novella versus... Well, that brings to mind as well with theater and, and theater education. Um, the students ask, how can I memorize my lines? <laughs> and we say, repeat them, you know, listen to them, repeat them, go over them again and again and again, go over them in your mind, like look into the mirror say your lines like it's all about repetition um which reminds me about what you were saying about the shirt and while well, you put on your shirt off the more we're exposed to something the more we do it the the yeah the easier it is to learn so yeah you know and and that kind of brings us to um our case study uh, of mm-hmm. the london cab drivers have you ever been in a london cab I have, yes. <laughs> Many times, in case people couldn't tell. I'm British. <laughs> um, do you know anything about their certification? What they have to no. go through? No, what do they have to go through? I know they have to have a license, don't they? They, they do have to have a license. A driver's license is a must. They also okay. have to have a license to be a cab driver in London. Um, and so they end up having to take this huge, grueling exam called the knowledge. Okay. And to do this, they study two to four years. Now, what's on this test is every road, side street, (gasps) parking lot, uh, address in London. Have you seen how big London is? It's the equivalent of how big New York City is. It's just, there's so many roads. And New York City is far easier because it's laid out in a grid. Oh wow! Um, I, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar, but London came yeah. is so old that it, it is. came. All those Roman roads. Yes, uh, it came before we had the idea of laying out cities and grids. So it's all just meandering, winding roads that kind of maybe follow parallel to a river. I do not know how anybody could possibly memorize all that. Thank goodness that we have GPS these days. That, that's all I have to say. <laughs> but but they still and, have to uh, memorize it. them for taking on that profession because... Uh, it's yeah. needed. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine working as a London cab driver can be very challenging at times. <laughs> but the interesting part about this whole thing is yeah. they actually have a physiological change in their brain. So oh. the hippocampus 
which is responsible for long-term memory, um, it actually grows as they're taking this test. And they've done a longitudinal study uh, where it actually has stayed enlarged throughout their entire career. And wow! Sh- and shortly after they retire, it actually shrinks down to uh, an average size again. <laughs> what? I had no idea that that's what... Wow. I, guess <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I have a completely newfound respect for L- London cab drivers right now. Yeah, I, I mean, that's just... I would. I, I'd love to repeat this study with some of our uh, doctoral um, candidates and mm-hmm. and and just see it. Follow them through their careers and see if it's if they learn even as much and and have to retain even as much as these London cab drivers. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I think I'm, I might have misspoke. I think the hippocampus is actually responsible for spatial reasoning. Um. Not uh, memory recall. I I could be. I may need to do some more well, research for you guys on that. Still, an impressive study that that uh, really highlights the fact that um, how important memory is, and and how we, uh, you know, the space to learn is there. I mean, in those cab drivers, learning learning all those roads. My goodness, I couldn't imagine. Um, you know, but we we had to do all that studying. Um, to take our teacher certification exams, you know, um, to do things like that. So it, you know, it's very interesting, and, it, it, and it's there. So I definitely would love to look into that and, well, and research it, a bit more. I mean, neuroscience is amazing, and, and it's just phenomenal how it it grows and atrophies just like a, a muscle. Mm. It. it if I stop bench pressing every day, I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna lose my strength. I'm not gonna be able to do it as much. If I stop teaching my curriculum, I'm not gonna remember it probably next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I use math every day, so I, I probably could figure it out again. But if you change my math classes that I'm, I'm teaching, I I have to go through a period of of readjustment, and I mm-hmm. think just having teachers recognize when this is happening to them is, is a powerful tool as well. Um, mm-hmm. and it, and it gives the, the teacher talking to the student some insight and, and some, um, credence. Um, mm-hmm. I had a student last year and, you know, he, uh, he goes to me, I expletive hate math when I asked him, how he, how, what his relationship with math was like. And I asked mm-hmm. it and I said, listen, if you're willing to trust me, I want you to do everything I ask you to this year with an open mind and, mm-hmm. and, uh, try and get through it. And he had failed the class I was teaching mm-hmm. at, at least one time, possibly two. And he ended up passing not because I'm an easy That's grader. Great. It's it. It's probably the complete opposite end of the spectrum on that. So not only yeah. did he pass the class with a tougher grader, you know, um, yeah. but he actually it actually made it where he removed his own blocks. Yeah, and, and, and that is not easy to do. That is not easy to do. But um, if you if if the teacher approaches it in the right way and and with the right message, right. it becomes yeah. exponentially easier. 
So my my father has a, a mathematics degree, um, and <laughs> mathematics and physics, and he can do mathematics in his head, and he can just do, say it out loud, and there it is, um, which has always amazed me. Um, and those mathematical concepts came to him easy. And when I was um, in school and trying to do my homework, um, he would try to teach me how to do the math. And when I didn't grasp it, he would be like very frustrated, like, why, why can't you do it? I don't get why you don't understand it. You know, he just didn't get why it wasn't teachable. Like he thought he thought I would get it eventually. And I didn't. Um, and that was very frustrating. Um, but I had a mathematics tutor uh, come to the house. We paid for this uh, gentleman and he was phenomenal. And I think it was more because he accepted the fact that I had shut down and didn't think I was very good at math. Um, and, you know, he worked with me and he was like, remember, you got this part right and you got that part right. So you're going to get this part right, too. Uh, you know, and it was a different attitude. It was a different mentality that the math tutor had as opposed to my father. You know, <laughs> it's just different <laughs> attitudes, different teaching styles, you know, and, and it what worked for and, me. And I'm sure your father was, was a very great math teacher in his day I, w- he's w- not a math teacher <laughs> oh. but he wasn't a math teacher oh. but yeah he uh he worked for the government um he worked in uh pensions for the government uh he did a lot of math and uh, i guess accounting and he did all that uh I d- i'm kind of glad he's not a teacher <laughs> <laughs> but then again he might have received some training that that would have made uh things a little bit better had he gone that way. Right. Coulda, woulda, right. shoulda, right? <laughs> He's an excellent mathematician. And I think there's a difference between an expert in your subject and being an expert educator in a subject. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, sometimes the the best in the field are not the the ones that are best able to communicate their ideas and their thoughts. And sometimes it takes a bridge um, yeah. And that's kind of where I've always tried to put myself as a bridge between the the really true deep experts of the the content and um, the the people I'm trying to teach. I have enough knowledge where I can communicate with the expert, but I also have I'm not so high in the clouds that I have a difficulty communicating the ideas out and sharing the ideas out. Um, Whereas sometimes, and it's not always the case, I mean, a, a truly special individuals can can be way up at the top and communicate the, their ideas down to the bottom. Um, in education, I would have to say currently the best example of that would be Joe Bowler, but I may be a little biased on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Um, so, but... Even with my love affair of Joe Bowler's research, I'll be careful how I phrase that, um, the, we wouldn't be anywhere without Carol Dweck. Um, right. Carol Dweck is actually, to my knowledge, the first researcher in this idea of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And I actually have a sound clip from a TED Talk that she delivered. I, okay. I do not... I do not know the uh, date she gave it, but the title of the talk, and you can find this on YouTube, is The Power of Yet by Carol S. Dweck. Um, and I'll, I'll just play that clip for you now. Um, 
And to me, this is a very powerful message that I wanted to make sure that we got out there. Okay. The power of yet. I heard about a high school in Chicago where students had to pass a certain number of courses to graduate. And if they didn't pass a course, they got the grade, not yet. And I thought that was fantastic. Because if you get a failing grade, you think, I'm nothing, I'm nowhere. But if you get the grade not yet, you understand that you're on a learning curve. It gives you a path into the future. Not yet also gave me insight into a critical event early in my career, a real turning point. I wanted to see how children coped with challenge and difficulty. So I gave 10-year-olds problems that were slightly too hard for them. Some of them reacted in a shockingly positive way. They said things they said things like, I love a challenge. Or, you know, I was hoping this would be informative. They understood that their abilities could be developed. They had what I call a growth mindset. But other students felt it was tragic, catastrophic. From their more fixed mindset perspective, their intelligence, their intelligence had been up for judgment and they failed. Instead of luxuriating in the power of yet, they were gripped in the tyranny of now. Okay, so... Um, gripped in the tyranny of now instead of luxuriating in the power of yet. I think that is a very powerful message. Um, and I... And there's been a lot of talk about grit and the importance of grit. Yeah, and, you know, just something I, I noticed that time when we played it out. She... Carol Dweck made a m small mistake while she was going through and just fixed herself and moved on. Mm -hmm. I don't think yeah. that our, we're teaching that well enough. Uh, okay. We're, 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 we're teaching students that if they struggle, there, there's something wrong with them. There, there's got to be some sort of disorder. There's got to be some sort of reason why they can't. They're not trying hard enough. They're... And, and it's just not true. It, it, people learn at different rates. We know this. It is scientific fact. We know how to increase. We know how to, we know some factors that decrease student motivation for learning. We know, we, we, we know that students don't learn at the same rate. And I think that we need to start looking into how we can change a student's outlook. I, how can how can we get them to mm -hmm. luxuriate in the power of yet instead mm -hmm. of being in this place where they just shut down because they they feel like learning is not struggle yeah and i think it's a really important thing too 
um, to uh, examine this more in, in more detail um, and, and uh, fine-tune ourselves as educators about, uh, you know, uh, children and the amount of grit that they should go through, I guess, <laughs> to uh, learn and understand something. But that was a that was a very um, inspiring um, TED talk uh, from Carol. Yeah, and I think um, we'll post and, the whole thing to our Facebook page, uh, right? Because it's definitely that's just like the first two minutes of of the and whole. And she's time. an American uh, psychologist, isn't she? Some yep, she is know, at uh, Stanford is. University, I believe. Yes, that's correct. Um, um, she was actually Joe Bowler's uh, thesis advisor, if if I uh, oh, remember correctly. So, which I is didn't where, know that. Yep, she's kind of the one that started Joe Bowler on her. If I if I'm rem- remembering what I read correctly. Um, this is the case. They certainly work together at Stanford University currently. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she knows a lot about what's important, I think, in terms of how our minds work. Um, and I think uh, how, how how our minds and, our, and how we perceive things um, are just so important and affect, can, can, can drastically affect our learning. And our learning progress, you know, if you think with that fixed mindset, I'm not good at it, I'm never going to get it. It, it, it does. Right. And then not, look at yeah. how quickly you yourself progressed after you started looking at it from a different angle. That's true. I mean. That's true. But the learning disorder never went away. No, um, and, and it know, won't. It didn't, um, you know, unfortunately. Uh, that's something I'll always have to grapple with and always have to deal with the discalculator. I'd never even heard of it. Um, of that for the longest time. I just thought, again, that fixed mindset. I just thought, I'm terrible at math. I'm not good at math. It's just something I can't do. And, you know, no one offered me an explanation in England um, about, you know, why I was bad at math. It was just accepted that I was bad at math, you know? Um, And I just was pushed on. And I don't believe I'd have been able to graduate as well here um, as I did in England, and we graduate at 16 in England, not not at 18. Um, and I think, you know, I just accepted that I was bad at math. But when I came, when I went to college, I really wanted to uh, improve my mathematics. Um, and I was still really, really struggling. So uh, it does take a lot of hard work, and um, it can be incredibly frustrating for someone who thinks they can't do it um, or have a repeated history of failing. And when, when you see the math, when you see the grades, when you're trying and then you look and then you've got zero, you know, and you, you spent hours um, doing mathematical equations or formulas, you've been practicing. And then to find that you just weren't quite there on the test for whatever reason, that's very discouraging. You know, it really is. It's, it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm, it's the reality that you're not good at, you're just not good at it. And that's, it's overcoming yourself, your own hurdles. You know, we have to realize that we can do it if we're doing the right things or using the right techniques. And there are two people that are in the best position to help that student through that. First person, Mm -hmm. their parents. Mm -hmm. Yes. The the parent outlook, in my experience, is very similar to the child's outlook in probably 90% of the cases. That is not a research statistic. That's just what I'm throwing out there. Um and this, the second person, and probably the person that's going to have to do a majority of the heavy lifting, is the teacher. 
Mm-hmm. They're going to have to approach that student with a growth mindset. Um, maybe we'll have to do a show on how to incorporate growth mindset into your grading practices. Um, and that, and, and well, let's um, be honest. I mean, I think the reality in some educators' classrooms is that there's a lot of students. So if there's like 30 students, I mean, I'm maybe over exaggerating that. There's yeah, so close. many students getting that. Um, you know, getting to work one-on-one on a student's growth mindset, you know, I'm, I imagine must be incredibly challenging. Well, actually, in my experience, it's setting up the culture of the classroom so that you don't mm-hmm. have to go one-on-one with the students all the time. You go one-on-one with, it's it's like triage. All right, who's got the most fixed mindset? All right, am I going to be able to change their mindset? Maybe not. If not, okay, I'm going to go to the next one, and I'm going to try and be as effective as I can to the majority of, of my students. A lot of times it's cutting down the snickering when somebody uh, makes a mistake and and the whole class knows it. A lot of times it's, praising the mistake and and explaining what what their thinking was back to the student before they even um explain it themselves sometimes oh i know why you made that mistake because it's a good mistake to make because you're thinking about this and while that's true we also have to consider this part of it so you you value their mistakes and you appreciate them for furthering the conversation i've even gone so far as to um, give them a little piece of candy every now and then when they make a mistake that's re- that really highlights a key point to what we're thinking about. And I say, well, listen, I know you made a mistake in your thinking, but this is going to further our conversation because you're you're really thinking about it and you're really explaining yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And and I really appreciate that. Now I don't yeah. just reward mistakes. I think that's. A mistake. That... Well, as a student, when we make a mistake, I think we're our own worst enemy. So we, we think, oh my god, like we think it's worse than it actually is. You know, especially if other people are in the classroom and they're, you know, they're looking and they're watching. You know, oh my god, I just said something that was wrong. You know, it, there's a fault. You know, there's a sense of embarrassment that comes with, you know, getting an, an answer an answer wrong. Right, and if you can kind of turn that on its head by, oh, thank you. You know, it's no longer embarrassing. It's right. almost yes. shock, which leads I say, to. I thank a, you for contributing. You know, thank you for contributing. At least you, at least you, you know, gave it a go. At least you said something. At least yeah. you. Well, and, up and I like tried. I like to take it just one step further, and have their mistake help guide us to the right answer. So I, I like to say. Right. Because then, not only That's did great. they did they not only did do you value their mistake, you're showing that their mistake truly does have value because it leads to a, a deeper truth. And I and you know I think that's something that's missing outside of education today. You know, even if we very lightly tread into the realm of politics, we don't. <laughs> you don't have to agree with what everybody says. You don't have to disagree with what somebody says just because they're on the opposite side. You, mm-hmm. the, the truth, that that's what a debate should be all about, coming to a universal truth that everybody can live with. Right. Um, so I think uh, we're just about out of time here. Yeah, and yeah. you're right, this, this did fly by. <laughs> um, <laughs> I told you it would. <laughs> 
so I'd like to invite our listeners to join our Facebook page. It is www.facebook.com slash teachertalknewyork, all one word. Um, and there you'll find an interesting array of memes, some helpful teaching videos. We'll get that um, Carol Dweck TED Talk up there as soon as uh, we can. Um, you'll also I'll find... Answer questions if you have any, or just input. I just love to hear people's comments and thoughts. Yeah. If there's something that you'd like focus. us to bounce around, we're more than happy to uh, make some time in our episodes for you guys. This is really about coming together as a community of teachers, sharing some of the current research, sharing some mm -hmm. things that worked, sharing some things that didn't work, and you know, dissecting it and really getting into the meat of it. Mm -hmm. Collaboration is key. Yeah. We, all, we, all, we all need to stick together. We're in this together. Our next scheduled podcast will be in about a month. I do not have the date written down. I'll have to remember to do that for the next one. Um, here's hoping you'll join us again. Uh, Ray, thank did you, you have for listening. Yep, thank you for listening, guys. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.